This is a tale too terrible. It was so terrible, it was plucked from a loose-leaf notebook that I discovered from Gregory Stetson. Gregory Stetson, I have made efforts to track this gentleman down, but he cannot be located. The notebook was discovered in a library. It was left on a table, and regrettably there was no address, there was no phone number, there was no email address. What I was able to discover was that this tale, Too Terrible, took place on November 19th, 2009. Dweezil parked the accent, an expert parallel. His head darted out the rolled-down window, peeking for any pesky traffic cop filling the city's vitiated coffers with another arcane citation. Seeing no immediate patrolman, he opened the door. He was nearly mowed down by a fierce blonde hitting the gas hard in a westward Jetta. He noticed the blonde more than he noticed the car. Such are the sad, observational priorities of frustrated men in early middle age. But despite his years, he had quick reflexes, similar to the way that Bush had dodged shoe-throwing dissidents, or the digital revisionist manner in which Han Solo had preternaturally parried Greedo's blast. He closed the door in time, then he got out again. The Jetta having jetted over the hill, the blonde, an orphan dot, diminishing in the distance. Three blocks away, Dweezel made out the leeward sway of crisp tickets jammed beneath windshield wipers. Some had been defiantly thrown to the ground, with a stray subset picked up by starving gales on the howl for an abandoned ticker-tape meal. Dweezel had pushed paper for too long. He knew that one of paper's dominant qualities was its tendency to stick to surfaces. He had read books and white papers, studied on a white screen, he was quick to claim, about the great paper problem, the myth of the paperless office, the troubling tendency of humans to flock to paper even as the high-def screens, the smartphones, and the LCDs became more ubiquitous. He had finally understood that Bradbury's book was not a cautionary tale, but a helpful how-to manual, and he entertained fantasies about assassinating some of the nostalgic gray hairs who didn't understand that papyrus was as fallible as it was dependable, before remembering that the United States of America wasn't a communist regime, though not without its robust authoritarian qualities, that he wasn't a leader, and that his authoritarian solutions wouldn't be put on the fast track anytime soon. Sure, Americans were docile, but they needed the illusion of choice. Even when the party of false hope demonstrated, it was just as contemptible as the party of Lincoln. Have a cup of tea. He palmed the broken coil of quarters from his pocket, squeezing his chunky frame between a fat SUV and his thin rental. He fed the meter with the leftovers from last night's laundry load. He'd move the accent if he had to, in the way that immigrants often did with their names. It might be easier to find a spare space on a weekday morning, but he remembered that today was this block's cleaning day. His sub-rosa investigation had revealed that the early morning whisks and hums often stretched past noon. The slackers! Never mind the hours posted on the signs, he couldn't attract attention from the fuzz. Stay incognito! He knew the traffic cops marked tire lines with chalk, 
measuring inches with crass estimation. The city and the state needed money. No sign of an economic rebound anytime soon, so they were filching from any jingling pocket. He regretted needing the car, but how else could he finish the operation? He'd driven down from Marin after wooing Wood, an early riser for the next assignment. Wood had taken his time, but grew hysterical when Dweezil had revealed his white teeth. Palindromic operatives couldn't exactly show up late. You had to cement a strong impression. You were representing the agency. And after screwing up in the cafe, he wasn't about to make another mistake in public. Officially, it was the 16th day of recon, but he had most of what he needed. 20th since the unexpected encounter with a former flame, now permanently changed. But he'd made calls to deal with that, with nobody at the agency quite catching on. And now, she was out of the picture, if current reports were anything to go by. He walked down the hill, gripping the attaché. He hoped that the fierce tension he applied to the handle would curb his homicidal tendencies, much as stress balls have prevented certain alpha males from murdering any peon making less than $40,000 per annum. Sixteenth day since the unanticipated rumble. Sixteenth since initial encounter. No communication with subject since. Not part of the plan. He'd sent Giddis twin packages after initial contact just to be sure, including the terracotta replacement, and surveilled his response. Then he eased up on the shipments. He'd make his move once he filled in more of this cross-operations squares. He shuffled past Molotovs, past the barbecue joint with the blinding red walls and the artificial flames lapping the window's bottom edge. He'd treat himself to brisket and beans when this was all over. It was hardly Texas style, but he enjoyed giving in to his inner carnivore after completing a vital objective. He would have to do. The current assignment had gone on too long. He walked up the steps, buckling a bit at the steep incline. How had that happened? He was fit, and pressed the buzzer. He waited, leaving his mind with nothing to fixate upon. That changed quickly. Guinness, the gravel neath his thrice-paved life, the kryptonite to his loins, his gravid millstone, his unhappy estuary. Guinness, a shotgun welding, a confused fusing, a thin tin tinning ringing in his ears. Guinness, everywhere, Dweezel peered, his big head accentuating the rented Hondes, fat rearview rectangle, invading his dreams, his name in the papers for a while. The bastard was everywhere, and he hadn't even written a book. Just that goddamn album, right place, right time. God, he hated Jack Guinness. He hit the doorbell again. Neither canopy nor building shadow existed to diminish the oppressive sunshine. There was no indication that anybody living in this building was awake. Eleven o'clock. It was hardly that early, and where were the garbage collectors of the street cleaners? Had they come and gone already, or were they malingering? He knew ten people right now who would beg for their jobs. He could perform favors for well-educated people who once dissed him right now. The schadenfreude of witnessing a J.D. begging to tend bar. At least Guinness had just enough brain cells to delineate between Agent 272's straightforward message and the bountiful care packages sent nonstop by his loyal defenders. But Dweezil would have to wait. 
for the media cacophony to scatter into white noise before kindling up. The door opened. A wispy 60-something woman with a hearing aid walked out. Dweezil tried making a grab for the door, but she was surprisingly quick. He sized her up. Never underestimate the deaf. She was the type who noticed things. Someone who could detect real-world trouble in the time it took a lonely man to download the Raspberry Reich through a fiber-optic line. Some operatives had referred to this skill as deductive observation, a cut-elimination variant that adjusted the perceptual calculus to account for hostile absurdity. In the last four years, the elite trade journals were using hostile absurdity in place of sedition. Because of the world's increasing problems, terms of art within the intelligence world would now require more specificity. Since anyone who possessed the skill of deductive observation was forced by necessity to use an individual's subjective bias to filter the results, an agent could find himself in serious trouble if he were on the other end of what someone else had deemed hostile. Others in the agency had tried to dismiss deductive observation as a Freudian code or a false Marstonian ideal that would become reviled and obsolete within a decade. But whatever the instinct was, it annoyed the fuck out of Dweezil whenever he encountered it in the field. The woman reprimanded this intruder with a dismissive squint. She was in the habit of ignoring any real-world element that deserved to be illusory. All that commotion when she was trying to get her portrait taken a few weeks ago, that crazy business with the snotty kid who accused that young man of something sordid. She had seen it all. The crude rip when the young man wasn't looking. The kid scoping out the adults and reacting accordingly. It wasn't her business, but maybe she'd have to let somebody know about this. She descended the cement steps before she too was a pixel. Like the blonde who had tried to mow him down, he pressed the button again, doing his best to ignore her disrespect. Business as usual, Ness, come on, you're a professional, show some humility. Get us. That abject voice, rejecting closed vowels, speaking so politely in interviews, refusing to shun that hayseed aid annoyed warble that true tick of a washed-up musician that quality of a faded hipster who had so wooed the chronicle and secured the four-page profile stop this would be all over soon yes it would he'd blow the last installment on blow and blowjobs that quasi-prosy with the flexible neck he didn't have a watch but he peered at his cell 1107 the man was supposed to be here. Did he live here? No, but he should have shown. Guinness's story had somehow found its way onto Gawker and had even upstaged Julia Allison. Much to Dweezil's relief, Jack Guinness had not become a trending topic on Twitter. That would have put the kibosh on the whole operation, which was delicate enough already. Dweezil sent a prayer to the media gods, hoping that the niche demographic would hold... No phone number for the guy inside. What decade did he think this was? One of the only people in San Francisco who didn't understand that living in the 21st century required a mobile. He wondered if this guy even had a broadband connection. He hated the stragglers who didn't practice propinquity. Spinoza was old enough to know. Fucking freelancers. And so, Guinness was now a small-time media sensation 
short-selling and briefly fattening the morning edition, still seen as boyish even as the dope was fermenting to early middle age, a fraternal fall guy, propped up as Dennis's divine protector. Then, that unexpected surprise. One month later than the accustomed timetable that made Dweezil lick his chapped lips, the boy, the mother, a photo studio, a lawsuit, the hapless victim turned happy victimizer, debates on the blogs, accusers and defenders, javers and mailers, considerable oscillation between these antipodes. Enough! Where was Spinoza, goddammit? You arrived five minutes early or you were late. The door opened. Hi, I'm... Eggs, said the operative. I like to sit with eggs. But that is all of this tale I have now to tell, which is too terrible to continue further. However, it shall be continued, terrible as it may be. Tune in next time for Tales Too Terrible. Blind mice in a row, tree blind mice, there they go, marching down the street, single file, to a calypso beat all the while, they're looking for the cat, the cat that swallowed the